Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Hello, and welcome to the Defender Bible Study Podcast. My name is Chris Johnson, and I serve as the National Director of Church Partnerships at Lifeline Children's Services. Today is Monday, May 9th, 2022, and we're going to be continuing our study looking at the book Image Bearers. Well, today we are continuing and really wrapping up our look at the book Image Bearers. We've been studying this book and kind of walking through the different principles that are uh, shared there and the different uh, things to understand. Today we're looking at chapter 12, uh, which is the marginalized elder care, refugees, and assisted suicide. So today we're going to cover this last chapter, and and I hope that we'll be able to see today from God's Word that every believer must strive to protect and care for all marginalized populations. Every believer must strive to protect and care for all marginalized populations. In, in our space of orphan care, and kind of when you're when you're talking about orphan care ministry and and uh, ministry to the vulnerable, we often kind of appropriately hold up as our standard James one twenty seven, and uh, this is a verse I think that we need to make sure that we that we properly understand. But I think it it really sheds light and drives us to care for more than just the orphan. So let's let's look together at that verse. You know, we we mentioned James one twenty seven a lot, but I wonder how often we really kind of break this verse down and, and understand exactly what is being said here by James. In context of James chapter 1, James is really speaking about, the whole book of James is really kind of about a faith that is real and genuine. We say we have faith, but if our lives don't show that faith, we're not living out that faith, do we really have any right to claim that our faith is real and genuine? And in James chapter 1, he speaks specifically, he starts really at about verse 19, talking about this, this connection to the Word of God. And the fact that if a faith, if our faith is real and genuine, we're not just going to be people that hear the word of God, but as we hear God's word, as we read God's word, it will affect our lives and it will cause us to move to action. Uh, he says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. Be someone who walks in the truth of God's word, who takes the things that you read, takes the things that you hear, and then applies them to our life. And he even goes so far as to say that the word of God is a mirror that we look into. And when we see that our life doesn't line up with what what God's word is saying, then we've got to, we have a responsibility to make sure that we do what is necessary to align our faith, our actions to the faith that we claim that we have. And it's in that context that we get to the end of the, of the chapter here. And at the very end, the last verse, we have James 127, which says religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You know, there are, there are a lot of things in Scripture that, that God kind of leaves a little bit of mystery to and even even sometimes maybe a hint of vagueness. And, and kind of we're told to do certain things that we have to kind of figure out exactly what is being meant. We have to rely sometimes on the Holy Spirit to enlighten us, to understand that, and to be able to, um, to have the ability to discern what God is saying and what God is telling us to do. But this verse just lays it out plain and simple. James says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Now, when he uses the word religion, he's not talking about going through the motions or liturgical action. He's speaking religion here in, the, in, in, its, in its original understanding and meaning is, is really speaking of the way that we express our faith, how our faith is shown, how our faith is expressed. It's that outward display of what is inwardly true of us. 
And so James doesn't leave any vagueness. He says, if you want to know what a pure faith looks like, if you want to know what an undefiled religion looks like, what God our Father sees as pure and undefiled and acceptable, then here it is. He says, it is this. And he gives us a colon that just kind of says, I'm going to give it out to you. He says, it is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, the word visit here, it's the Greek word episkeptomai, episkeptomai. It literally means to look closely. Skeptomai is kind of gives the idea of looking, and epi gives that, that to look in, to look inward, to look into something. And it carries the idea of to closely examine, to come alongside, literally to move toward and to step into. So what James is saying here is that a faith is re- that is real and genuine, will, it will be characterized by a stepping into, a moving closely toward, ultimately an engaging with the orphan and the widow. It gives the idea of joining them in their affliction, in their distress, in their time of need, in their point of, of hurt, in their, in, their, in their place of struggle and difficulty. He says a faith that is real will come alongside and get involved with, join the orphan and the widow in their affliction. Now, as we look at the term orphan and widow, of course, we see throughout scripture, we hear over and over again, the mention of the orphan and the widow. And most of the time that those are mentioned in scripture, we see these two groups being mentioned together. We see the fatherless and the widow, the orphan and the widow. We see this over and over again. And then a third time, a third uh, group of people is often also mentioned, and that is the sojourner or the stranger. And a lot of passages of scripture, we, we, of course, in our world, we bring, we highlight the need of the orphan. But most of the time in scripture, we'll see the orphan and the widow together. And then many of those times, we will also see the term the sojourner joined together in that same context and even in those same verses that instruct us how to visit the orphan, how to visit the widow, how to visit the sojourner and join them in their affliction. So really, as we, as the readers of James, as they would have heard him, uh, or if they would have read his writings, and even we now, as we read his writings, we are able to clearly understand that James is not just saying that we just kind of have this little pie, this little piece of the pie, and we only care about these people, or we only care about these people. But really, the term orphan and widows here is representative of, of all vulnerable populations. It's really a picture of the most vulnerable in a society. They are representative of the most vulnerable in Bible times as well as in our times today. Uh, This includes the refugee, the sojourner, the stranger, the orphan, the widow. It literally is those who have no one to stand up for them. Another characteristic of this population is that oftentimes they have nothing to give in return. So James is saying a faith that is real and genuine will will reach out to, will care for, will join in affliction with those who are in the most vulnerable place, those who have no one to stand up for them, and those who have nothing to give in return. What good is a faith that only cares for people that can pay you back? What good is a faith that only reaches out to those who, who are others are supporting well and, and who are others are engaging with? And, and, and we do it with a mindset of, of getting something in return. James is saying a faith that is real and genuine will reach out to, will join in affliction together with those who are the most vulnerable, those who don't have a voice, those who have no one to stand up for them, those who have nothing to give in return. 
I do find it interesting also that as we think about this connection between the orphan and the widow, uh, we typically see that, that this is this covers both ends of the life story, right? Orphans are typically those younger and the newborn and the and the children and those who are early at the beginning stages of life. And the widow is referencing those who are closer, typically closer to the end of life and closer to that that season of, of, of the last years. And so there's this encompassing care for those who are in the early stages of life, who don't have a voice and don't have anyone to stand up for them, and also care for those who are at the end of their life, who need who need a family, who need support, who need care, who need someone standing for them. And then as we add in and see the need to care for the sojourner and the stranger and the alien uh, and the refugee, we see those that are in the middle stages of life as well that need that support, that love and care. And as we continue this look at, at James 127, we see that he says to visit orphan and widows in their affliction and to keep ourselves unstained, unspotted from the world. And the word and here really is, it's not actually in the original, it's added in uh, to give us clarification, to help us understand that this is a continuation, it's a process. And so ultimately, as we step into the lives of the most vulnerable among us, it gives us the opportunity to shine brightly for the cause of Christ. It gives us the opportunity to be a witness to the world. We are able to have a platform to share about the gospel and the good news of grace and mercy. As we obey God's commands and as we live a life that is for others, as we live a life that is willing to engage the most vulnerable, care for and support the most vulnerable, then we have that platform and that opportunity to proclaim the goodness of Jesus, the goodness of Christ, the goodness of God. We see that genuine faith will always step into and help vulnerable populations. And the most pure way for us to live out our faith is to see hurting people, to see brokenness, and to move toward that brokenness, toward that hurting, and not away from it. And this isn't this exactly what God did for us? I'm so thankful that he saw us, he saw me in my brokenness, and he chose to move toward me. He chose to move toward us in the person of Jesus Christ. I had nothing to offer him. We had nothing good to give him. He had nothing to gain from, from, the, from doing this, but he chose to step into my brokenness, to join me in my affliction so that he might give me everything, so that he might make it possible for me to be his child, to be brought into his family. What a beautiful picture for us to follow. What a beautiful example for us to walk in, a beautiful truth for us to understand. So it's with this mindset and with this understanding that I say again that every one of us, every one of us who claim Christ, every believer must strive to protect and care for all marginalized populations. So how do we do that? Let me give you three things today that will kind of help us just kind of remember and understand this role that we are to play. How do we protect and care for all marginalized populations? First of all, we do it by remembering God's heart for the vulnerable, by remembering God's heart for the vulnerable. Throughout God's word, we see over and over again his commands to care for and to provide for the vulnerable. And we get to see his heart in this. We get to see the heart of God for those who, again, are in distress, those who need someone to protect them, those who need someone to be a voice for them. Here, here's another good truth, and I, and I say this often to people when I have the opportunity to, to speak and share. God has promised in his word that he is going to care for the vulnerable. He has promised that he is going to meet the need. He will be the father to the fatherless. He will provide, uh, the, he will be that companion to the widow. He will be that, that caretaker to the, the sojourner and the stranger. But here's, here's a joy. What a joy it is for us to realize that God has promised to care for the vulnerable and that you and I, we get to be the means by which God keeps his word. 
We get to be the way that he does that, the hands and feet of Jesus. As we see God's heart for vulnerable populations, we cannot deny our responsibility to care for them as his hands and feet. And and in fact, here's the truth. We are never more like our heavenly father than when we are helping those who have nothing to give in return. We're never more like our heavenly father than when we are helping those who have nothing to give in return. And then as his people, we must recognize the value of all life. Every life matters for the kingdom. God's, God's word commands and shows us that we must value all life for the glory of God. If we truly recognize the value of all life, then we will do whatever is necessary to serve and to care for that life. We will do what is necessary to visit them in their affliction. Throughout this study of the book Image Bearers, we've already uh, discussed the, the value of the lives of the unborn. We've talked about the, the, the value of the life of, of women, especially those who are in crisis pregnancy and in difficult situation. We've talked about the, the lives of orphans and children in foster care and how they must be treasured and valued. We've talked about the importance of valuing people of all races and, and all ethnicities and all backgrounds. We, we've talked about all these things. But as we kind of conclude this study, there are a few more groups of people that I think are that we see specifically addressed in God's word. First of all, we see the importance of caring for the widow, the widow. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul is explaining to Timothy, and he's talking about the need for the church to provide this care. And, and he gives the explanation that a true widow, biblical in the biblical sense here, is someone who had no family to care for her. And he admonishes that the, Timothy that the church is to step up and be that provider. The church is to provide for that one who finds herself in that situation. God calls his people in the Old Testament. He calls his church here in the New Testament to step in and provide that care and that support on his behalf. Listen to these verses that show God's heart and the commands to care for the widow. Exodus chapter 22, verse 22. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. Psalm 146, 9. The Lord upholds the widow and the fatherless. Isaiah 117, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Zechariah 710, do not oppose the widow. We see this, this heart that God has for those in that situation. And we see as we understand and know God's heart for them, how we too must care for them, provide for them, and join them in their affliction. We remember God's heart for the vulnerable, understanding the plight of the widow. But then also, this is a step further, all the elderly. The next group is the, the elderly. As those among us, as, as those that, that we know and do life with, as they grow, as we grow older, then we must have a love and respect and a care for the elderly, for those who are in the latter seasons of life. There is never a time in a person's journey, there's never a time that a person becomes old enough to be irrelevant. Every life matters into the later stages of life as well. And we must recognize and understand that no person ever ceases to be an image bearer of our Heavenly Father. The world tends to minimize the effectiveness and the value of the elderly. They tend to put forth this, this message that, that once you've reached a certain season, your, 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 your opinions don't matter as much anymore and your experience is not as valued. But the reality is the elderly have so much to offer us. They have so much in lived experience in life. They've modeled faithfulness. They have displayed the, the goodness of God. And we would benefit greatly 
from receiving their advice, from from caring for them, from spending for spending time with them. We would benefit greatly by uh, by listening to them, by engaging with them, by celebrating them, and allowing them to to speak into our lives as well. Again, look at Scripture and hear what what God's Word says. Leviticus chapter nineteen, verse thirty-two. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Psalm 71, 9, do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. Psalm 71, later in that Psalm, verses 17 through 19, O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You have done great things, O God, who is like you. Isaiah 46, verses 3 and 4, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. And to your gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save. Again, the admonition from Paul to Timothy and to the, to the church, the t- churches that Timothy would lead, 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. We see again over and over through scripture this importance of honoring those who are elderly, honoring those who have gone before us. And as I look back at my life, I am so thankful and so grateful for the older generation that has poured into me. And now as I'm kind of moving into the next phase, I see even more so the importance of this. And, and I, and I begin to recognize just the things that, that I have learned and the things that I've been able to, uh, the ways that I've been able to grow spiritually, the ways that I've been able to grow practically. And as, as I've had people that have poured into me. And now we have the opportunity to care well for those who have poured into us. And we ought to hold them in high esteem. We should never forget or discard those who have gone before us and those who have laid out the path for us to now be able to walk and now to be able to to celebrate and to enjoy. I think as children, we have a special responsibility in this regard. As children, we never outgrow the command to honor our father and our mother. We oftentimes preach that verse, those verses and those commands to children. And we say that, you know, the whole idea of children, yes, they're to obey their parents. But that command to honor your father and mother is never is one that we never outgrow. And and what a beautiful picture again it is just of the the cycles of life. You know, it starts off with our parents when we are newborn, when we are a baby and we can't do anything for ourselves and our parents care for us. And then in the later stages of life, so many times we then have the opportunity to provide care and support to our parents as they move into those final stages of life. We should never shun those responsibilities. We should never take for granted the opportunity to say thank you for all that they have done for us by caring well for them. I uh, have had the, the privilege and honor of, of watching this in my own family's life. Uh, my, my, my dad, his parents, both of his parents, um, his, his father had multiple strokes. His mother, uh, had, had cancer and was in really poor health, severe diabetes and different things in their later stages of life. And I had the opportunity to watch my dad and, and his brothers and his sister as well, watch them provide love, support and care, 
uh, for his father and for his mother. Times that, that he had to do things that he never would have thought he would have had to do for his dad. Uh, as his dad began to, because of the effects of the strokes, uh, couldn't speak, couldn't couldn't feed himself, couldn't walk, couldn't do different things. And and I saw my dad lovingly care for him and provide for him. And and what a what a great testimony that was, and what a great uh, picture again uh, of of that, that was that was shown to me of what is biblical and what is right. And so as the uh, generation that has gone before us, as they grow older, we have a responsibility to honor them, to support them, and to care well. For for them. And when we remember all that they have done for us, may we recognize this as a privilege to be able to come alongside and care for them as well. We also have the responsibility to, to look after those who do not have children to care for them. So as we engage in our churches, in our communities, uh, as we recognize those uh, who are approaching those end years of their life, may we be aware of their needs, may we be sensitive to those things, and may we be willing to join them in their affliction and provide the support and care for them. We remember God's heart for the vulnerable, the widow, the elderly, but then we also see God's heart for the refugee. In scripture, this this term refugee is used in some places, but oftentimes it's used depending on which version uh, of the Bible you're reading. Sometimes it's sojourner. Uh, sometimes they're called the stranger, the pilgrim, the alien. Uh, but all of these are speaking of throughout scripture, those who have been displaced and are no longer in their homeland. These are people who who oftentimes do not have any rights or any standing in the community. They're not protected by the laws of the land in which they are living. And and I think we see scripture so many times remind, uh, God reminds his people of the fact that the reason that they should be so sensitive to this is that they, as God's people, often found themselves in this very position. Right, we we see the 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 people of, of God as they were sent into exile in Egypt, and as they found themselves in that living in a place that was not their home. We see it throughout the Babylonian captivity and the various times where the the people of Israel were under the control and under the the care of, of other of other nations and other people. We see it in the New Testament as we see the as we see um, uh, persecution come upon the church and we see the church scattered and and we have the church, the Jewish believers who have been scattered and living in other parts of the world. And so we see over and over again that God's people find themselves in the same position as the sojourner. Just like the orphan and the widow, God repeatedly told his people to care for and to make provision for the refugee. Exodus twenty two twenty one. some of these verses tie in with what we've already read. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. Leviticus 19.34, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 through 19. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Again, how does God express his love and care? How does he give food and clothing to the sojourner? He does it through his people. He does it through you and through me. Psalm 146 verse 9, the Lord watches over the sojourners. Zechariah 7.10, again, do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. 
Furthermore, when we when we look at, we're, we're seeing here different positive expressions where God's saying that he's going to care for the sojourner and he's going to provide for the sojourner. But over and over again, God also uses very strong language to condemn those who did not treat the stranger well. Many times when it lists things that, that have happened and things that have occurred that, that have, that have dishonored God and that, that he is, he is not happy about, many times in those lists, we see a neglect for the sojourner. We see a pushing away of the stranger and that being listed as things that God strongly condemns. In our world today, in our very own context, many are displaced. Many find themselves in strange lands. Much of this is due across the world to religious persecution. We've seen people who claim the name of Christ have been severely persecuted, and we've seen that cause a scattering. But we know that there are other reasons and other things that also cause people to be displaced. Sometimes it's through war. We're seeing this, of course, obviously with what is happening right now in Ukraine. So many Ukrainians that are being displaced and finding themselves in the status of the refugee. And as the body of Christ, we have a responsibility to provide for them. We have a responsibility to care well for them, to love them, to to support them. I'm so thankful for our efforts as a ministry and for those who have given toward these efforts so that we might provide clothing and food and shelter to those who are find themselves in this situation. Now, it's important, again, that we understand, we certainly recognize the authority, we recognize the obligation of government to protect its people. Uh, government has the, the right and should establish border laws and certain uh, control mechanisms to make sure that they are protecting and, control, and, and, and supporting uh, their people. That's, that is an obligation and a role of government. However, once people are here among us that find themselves in this situation, no matter how they got here, we have a responsibility to care well for them. We have a responsibility as the body of Christ, as his church, to treat the refugee with dignity, to treat the sojourner with honor, to treat the stranger with respect and provision as we have opportunity to support them, as we have opportunity personally to invest in their lives and to care well for them. Brothers and sisters, we must see the refugee as one who is created in the Imago Dei, as one who is worthy of us loving him and her, pointing them to the hope of Jesus Christ, to the same hope that we have found. Every believer must strive to protect and care for all marginalized populations, first of all, by remembering God's heart for the vulnerable, for the widow, for the elderly, for the, for the refugee. But then second, by recognizing God as the giver and taker of life. How do we protect and care for all marginalized populations? By recognizing God as the giver and taker of life. It is God who is the author of life. He is the one who determines when life ends on this earth. That life that he created, that life that he holds in his hand, that life he created in his image, in the image of God. Job 1.22, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Again, we read Isaiah, 43, Isaiah 46, verses 3 and 4. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save. 
In that verse, God is saying there, I'm the one that, that carried you in the womb, that placed you in the womb. I'm the one that protected you in the womb. I'm the one that gave you, gave you life there in the womb and then brought you, uh, in, into, gave you birth into this world. And I am the one that holds you even to your old age until your final breath on this earth. It is God who holds within his hands the life that we enjoy. We have discussed and we celebrate and we talk about the importance of protecting life in the womb. And we must do everything we can to protect life in the womb. But we also must protect life all the way until natural death. It can't just be something that we fight for the right to be born. We also must continue to protect life all the way until the time of natural death. Just as abortion is murder, and abortion is, a, is an affront to a holy God who created that life, euthanasia and assisted suicide are sinful attempts to snuff out a life that is being held by God. They are just as much murder. They are just as sinful as snuffing out that life in the beginning. God's word clearly tells us that the taking of any life is fundamentally wrong and a sinful violation of his law. Exodus 23, you, 20 verse 3, you shall not murder. We must protect life from conception all the way until natural death. We cannot partake in the wickedness of ending a life before God's time, before God's timing in his plan. So what should we consider in thinking about these things? First of all, we need to consider God's sovereignty. Consider God's sovereignty. It is a sovereign God who determines our days. Job chapter 14, verse 5, his days are determined and the number of his months is with you. It is a sovereign almighty God that determines and that knows the days of our life, the number of our months. God knows what he is doing. God knows exactly what he is doing. He is sovereign king over all things, including life. It is God who brings life to bear at the time of conception, and it is God who determines when this physical life is to end. Not only must we consider God's sovereignty, but we must consider the role of suffering. Consider the role of suffering. In, in, our, in our physical lives, so often we seek to avoid suffering. We get to a place where we try to avoid suffering at all costs. We don't like it for ourselves, and we don't like it for those that we love. We, we, again, we, we view it as something that's to be avoided, something that's to be, to, to be pushed aside. And we get to a place where we are so resistant to suffering that we'll do whatever we can to end suffering. But God's word over and over again shows us the value of suffering, shows us how he uses suffering to mature us, to mature those who are a part of our lives. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, we rejoice at our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, suffering points us to the reality that there is something better to look forward to. But when we step in and we try to relieve suffering by ending a life, then we are interfering with God's plan. We are saying that we know better than God. And we are stepping into and, and, and interfering with what he is seeking to accomplish in the life of that individual, as well as those who love that individual and care for him or her. I know that at times it's difficult for us to accept God's will. It's hard for us to see and understand sometimes the value in suffering. And so because we can't understand it, we tend to reject it and push against it. 
especially as it relates to the suffering of those that we love. Folks, we cannot usurp the role of God. We cannot try to play God and try to be the, the take his role. We can't pretend that we are sovereign and that we know what is best. We must trust him. We see in this world over and over again, people that are stepping into these spaces and again, in, in the name of compassion, are trying to play the role of God. I actually just yesterday, I was just kind of spent some time in the afternoon, just kind of scrolling through Twitter and came across an article where a church in Canada, I use the word church loosely, a church in Canada actually had in their auditorium as a part of one of their services, they had a crossing over ceremony where they celebrated the assisted suicide of a lady. And actually it, it occurred there in the church auditorium. Folks, that is, that is wicked. That is a travesty against a holy, righteous, sovereign God. The enemy, again, the enemy seeks to present, present the act of abortion as compassionate. The, the enemy says that it's a compassionate choice for the mother who doesn't want her world turned upside down by having a child. We sometimes, many times, we hear this argument that it's better for that child to not be born if he or she was going to be end up being abused, or he or she was going to go without, or he or she was going to end up in foster care. And so, this false narrative that the enemy puts out that's completely wrong that that this somehow presents murder as compassionate uh, in the case of abortion. But you know what? The enemy makes the same argument regarding euthanasia. And, and it, 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 the enemy says that it becomes a compassionate decision. But again, when we start playing God and we start allowing others to do the same, then where's it going to end? Just as babies often are viewed as a nuisance that can just be discarded, the same is happening with the elderly and the disabled. The same is taking place in our world today because, again, in the, in the, in the name of compassion or in the name of, of, of trying to, to do good, we see life being stopped. And, and this, this process is going to just get worse. It's gonna, it, it starts off with kind of saying, let's, let's assist in suicide. But when, at what point does the world begin to then determine, well, your life is no longer has value. You no longer have anything to contribute. So it's okay for us to end your life early. It's okay for us to to not provide you care so that so that you will uh, so that your life will end. Determining that a life determining that a life is not worth living just completely undermines the dignity and value of life of a life that is created in God's image. And if we truly believe what Genesis one twenty seven says that that life was created in the image of God, then it demands that we fight for all life from conception to natural death. Every believer must strive to protect and care for all marginalized populations. We do this by remembering God's heart for the vulnerable. We do this by recognizing God as the giver and taker of life. And then finally, we do this by realizing our own position, by realizing our own position. We mentioned at the beginning of our time together today that, that we step into brokenness and we care for the vulnerable because that's exactly what God did for us. When he put on flesh and when he came to this earth, he met us at our point of need. And so because he came and met us at our point of need, we too must be willing to meet the vulnerable at their point of need. We will have, uh, also, we will have a greater heart for the sojourner. We will have a greater heart for the stranger, for the, for the refugee, when we recognize that that is exactly who we are. As, as followers of Christ, living in this broken world, we recognize that this world is not our home. We are looking forward to a better city. We are sojourners here on this planet. 
Our citizenship is in heaven, and we are longing for the day when we will be able to be home together with our sovereign king. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, listen to this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Visit the orphan and widow in their affliction and keep yourself unstained from the world. Do you see that Peter is saying the exact same thing that James said? We are sojourners. We are strangers. We are in a world where we do not belong. And as we recognize the grace of Almighty God in our life, as we fall fast on his mercy and his love and compassion for us, May we not just keep that to ourselves, but may we proclaim this good news of the gospel to the most vulnerable among us. May we proclaim this good news of the gospel, yes, to the orphan, yes, to the woman in crisis pregnancy, but yes, to the widow, and yes, to the elderly, and yes, to the refugee and the stranger and the sojourner who live among us. May we be willing to be agents of God's grace and God's mercy and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We all must strive to protect and care for all marginalized populations. We must remember the heart of God for the widow, for the elderly, for the refugee. We must recognize God as the giver and taker of of life, reflect on his sovereignty, understand the, the biblical nature of suffering, and then ultimately may we realize our own position that we too are sojourners and exiles. May we as Christ followers stand firm in our belief of the Imago Dei, that every life is created by God in his image and worthy of dignity, respect, and care. May we continue to preach the power of the gospel to save all those who will call on the name of Jesus. And may we live out our faith in a way that is pure and genuine to the glory of our Heavenly Father. This week, our prayer focus is on the country of Taiwan. So please join me in prayer. Dearly, Father God, we come before you, Lord, with grateful hearts, thankful for, uh, Lord, all that you have done, all you continue to do for us. Lord, we lift our hearts today, Lord, for the country of Taiwan. God, we pray for this nation that you would uh, just continue to keep the people safe, that you would protect them, watch over them, especially as uh, they continue to battle COVID issues and other things around that. Lord, we we pray for our partners there in Taiwan, Lord, the team at Cathwell, Lord, that you would just sustain them in their work and uh, that they would continue to serve both birth mothers and vulnerable children well. We pray for our team here at Lifeline, Lord, that work with uh, the folks there in Taiwan as well as our Taiwan families that are seeking to adopt. And we pray that you give them wisdom in helping lead families well. God, we pray more than anything that the gospel would go forth in Taiwan and that you would release them from just the grip of Buddhism and ancestor worship, God, but they would be open, Lord, to hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would, would open those doors and open hearts to the gospel. And then, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to connect with Christ followers that are there. We pray that you would protect them and watch over them and give us the opportunity to connect with them, to be able to serve them well also. Uh, God, we continue to just lift up the system there. We pray for judges and courts 
states and that the that they would be open more to um expat ad- adoption, that they would be open to out of birth order adoption and large family adoption. They would see, Lord, the needs of these children and know that there are families that are seeking to care well for them. God, we thank you for the families that are in our Taiwan program, and we pray that you would continue to strengthen them and uh, just continue to guide and direct and order their steps according to your word. And uh, Lord, that they would be able to bring home their children soon. God, we pray that you just help this program to continue to grow and continue to give us opportunities, Lord, to be able to Again, just manifest the gospel to vulnerable children there from Taiwan to be able to welcome them into mission-minded families. Lord, it's such a privilege and honor to be a part of your work, and I pray that you just continue to guide and direct our team here at Lifeline, continue to give us wisdom as we seek to know and do your will, and may we be faithful to the gospel and faithful to the needs of vulnerable children and family. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.